1: Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Relax while we lovingly drizzle weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolf. On this edition, we'll feature $100 tablet PCs, superplane, and interloping antelopes. In the studio with me are Daniel Keogh and Aaron Cook. First up
2: tonight, we've got next-generation aircraft. Now, engineers at MIT have designed a plane that uses 70% less fuel than current planes. By splitting the fuselage into two cylinders that are joined side by side, so you get this wider, flatter fuselage, and by pushing the engines to the rear of the aircraft and also making the wings and the tail thinner to reduce drag, they've achieved this 70% improvement. The lead designer, Mark Dreller, said it was all these little 5% improvements that added up to one big change. Unfortunately, it's expected to take 25 years for the planes to make it to production, but a less advanced version could apparently be built with current technology and methods, and still save 50% on fuel use. Excellent, because that's my one guilty pleasure is travelling
3: by aeroplane. Like I'm quite green, but you know, every time you fly in a plane, you
2: know you're doing damage to the environment. So cutting that by 50% will be great for travellers. Yes, well, the only downside seems to me that the study states that in the same time period, 25 years, that air travel is expected to double.
3: So, <laughs> so yeah, well, completely negating the, yeah, well, just to normal
2: levels. The other interesting thing is the planes do have to fly about 10% slower to achieve the. Ah. Fuel efficiencies that we're talking about, so oh. you can imagine that uh, you know you might have an entire class, slow class, come into the airline industry. And what were they doing? It was it all through modelling. Was
3: that the one they haven't actually you know built a, a practice one or anything, or was it? All no, I
2: believe done? it's all all through simulations yeah. so far. Yeah, cool. uh, but uh, you know they they do put a lot of faith in, in these uh, simulations yeah. these
1: days. Yeah. So who's doing that? Sorry.
2: It was MIT. And they presented this to NASA last month as part of a $2.1 million research contract. So they're talking about these planes as N plus 3. They're three generations ahead of where we actually are with today's commercial transport fleet. So a long way to go, but you can see that they really are looking a, a long way ahead to see how we're going to be flying in the future. That's Great.
3: interesting, having the, the two generations in between. We already know what they are, but we don't know when they are. Is that kind of what's
2: happening? Yeah, well, I, I guess maybe they've already spent all that money on the research and development. Mm. They, <laughs> they They're going to
1: build inefficient planes regardless. Well,
2: well we're still using the um, 3G telephone network because the government auctioned these things off for millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. So all of the 4G technology is already there, ready to use to make phones even better but we're not going to use it until we've made a return on our 3G spectrum. Thank you very much.
3: What I want to know is that the entrance that lost, like, you know, can you imagine all the wacky designs of airplanes that would have come in, like, you know, ones that are flying stars or shurikens, etc. I'm sure there's some bizarre takes on what you could have flown in. We, ne- we need the UFO-shaped thing. We need a disc. We need a
2: Frisbee where the passengers all sit in the middle and rotate. Don't they have one of those at the Easter show each year? You sit in it and you <laughs> yeah, rotate yeah. and yes. vomit on the person next to you? Yeah, you're I'll waiting love for that one. to take off. Okay, let's head back down to Earth and over to Africa where someone's lying about lions. Now, male topi antelopes have learned how to deceive their female counterparts to increase their chances of mating. University of Liverpool scientists observed these animals in Kenya's Masai Mara National Park and found that if an ovulating female starts to stray from the male's territory, the male would look intently straight ahead and start to make grunts that would usually signal that a predator is nearby. rather than risk danger, the females remain within range, increasing the male's chance of success. Psych. I can attest to that, actually. It works, so uh, give it a shot.
1: Growl like a lion, and she'll come running back. Oh yeah, true. Screech like a car, and she'll come running yeah, back. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. It's interesting because, uh, but but surely it gets to the point where he'll do it so often, it becomes a bit like the boy who cried wolf. Surely they'll get they'll get it. They'll go every time he says there's a lion coming, it doesn't show up. Surely they'll they'll click
2: on. Yeah, but it. maybe that one percent of female that gets. Wasted by a lion, that maybe that's enough to yeah to scare him into it.
3: Yeah, it's I like told it's, you there was yeah, a lion because the time when he does do it and there is a lion there, it'll be like, well, you should have stuck here.
2: It's like our governments tell us about terrorists. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> Keep them afraid. It's yep. it's a very. What are we expected to have effective. sex with
3: them as well? Is it kind of that similar <laughs> or?
2: Well, I don't know. I don't
3: know.
1: There's this hidden agenda we'd never <laughs> yeah, thought of. Yeah, exactly. We George,
3: want to keep our ovulating females.
2: George Bush is a good-looking man. The funny thing for me is the only way I've ever found to attract females is to completely ignore them. Nothing else ever worked for me my entire life. I never thought of grunting and warning them that a lion was nearby.
1: <laughs> yeah. But hold on, you've got to get it right. So this is this is not about attracting them, if my understanding of the story. This is about after they've decided to leave and they're wandering away, you scare them to come back, right? Correct. So if you ignore them, they keep going.
2: Uh, in the in, in antelope world, yes.
1: <laughs> in human world. So if you ignore a woman when she's decided to leave and she goes,
2: no, she'll come back. She'll come back eventually.
1: So
3: that's when you have to start paying attention. And then you come back, and then you
2: just no. You play. never start paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Once you start paying attention, you're done for. This, this is
3: dating is, advice this is, from the people
2: who know. This is this is Aaron's Cook, <laughs> Aaron Cook's twisted world of dating here.
1: Every week on Diffusion <laughs> Computing for the masses. The hundred dollar laptop has finally been released, and it's a tablet. The Chinese manufacturer Ekin has released a seven inch color touchscreen tablet computer running Google's Android Linux operating system. The same one they have on the latest phones. The screen's a respectable 800x480, it's running a low-power VIA CPU chip, and it comes with 2GB of storage that can be expanded to 32GB with an SD card. It comes with wireless internet, including the new long-range 802.11n Wi-Fi standard. The downsides are that it's an old 1.6 version of Android, and it requires a little technical knowledge to update the operating system. Also, the battery only lasts about two hours between charges, and there are no screw holes or sliders for replacing the battery with a higher-powered model. The chip only runs about 300 MHz, so it's slower than the $1,000 iPad. You can't just plug a USB sticker or device straight in, you have to plug it into a USB cable that connects to a special port on the tablet, so that's not so convenient. The port looks like it's designed to connect the tablet to a data centre with a keyboard and mouse, but that doesn't seem to be on sale yet. Still, for only $100 for a touchscreen, web browsing computer that can show YouTube clips, read electronic books, play games or create a Word document, it seems not bad for a full-purpose computer for the kids or for students or for those who can't afford anything more. I'm waiting on a friend's review.
3: I don't know. It's interesting. But you have to wonder with paying a hundred bucks. You you got to wonder whether it's going to randomly explode in your hands. So sure. But the other thing I was thinking of was that you know, for the thousand dollars that you would pay for an iPad, you can get ten of these, <laughs> and you can just have a broadsheet iPad. It would just be huge. It's true. You could network them. Yeah, yeah, and just have a multi-screen.
1: Or as soon as your two hours runs out on your battery, you just grab the just next one out of your the bag. Next one.
3: So it. <laughs> It actually is twice, uh, has a twice as long. Because I think the iPad, is they're talking about 10, 10 hours life, uh, battery life. but uh,
1: This will give you 20.
3: I, well, I, I, would, I would wonder about the actual product's life for $100. But it, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and whether or not that's going to be the future of how we consume media is the other thing. But, but particularly mm. if it's that affordable, maybe it's something that's worth watching.
1: Well, if you go, of course, to the auction sites online, you may be able to get it for less than $100 because that's the retail price.
2: Yeah, they're just becoming throwaway items. Yeah, that's the...
3: Yeah, it is it. Because you've also... The people who've got the iPhones now need to upgrade to the iPads and then it's just going to... Yeah, you're right. This is is the first generation of the three generations we know that are coming ahead.
1: Well, the big thing about this, of course, is that the operating system is free, Mm. So when you buy an iPad, not only are you buying all that snazzy, high-tech, fast CPUs and everything else, but you're paying for the operating system supported by Apple, whereas this is a free operating system supported by Google, and so the manufacturer doesn't have to pay for it, So which means that you don't have to pay for it, which is why you can get the cheapest possible machine that's still does really snazzy, clever stuff.
3: And from what I understand, it's a, a lot more freedom about what you're able to use, so particularly Flash, et cetera. Exactly. Um, which, you know, a- Apple have been quite closed in, in terms of what you can do with your iPad and your iPhone. So, And, and you know, I'm assuming that, that it can be, you can create your own content for it, et cetera.
1: Exactly. Um, and it's a Linux system, so you can download and run any Linux software. If it's not already there, you download it, you compile it, you run it, um, which means it's a general-purpose computer instead of just an e-book reader. And that makes a huge difference.
3: Well, the real question is, will it blend? <laughs> See the guy? He, he's blended an iPad already. Do you
2: know will it blend? Ah, uh, will it blend? Yeah. I've heard of will it blend. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's when we hear the sound effects. <laughs> And he
2: always tells you not to
3: inhale the smoke, obviously.
1: Oh, which reminds me of a story I don't have the full details, but I scanned just before coming in today. Someone's released in Britain chocolate as a spray. Whew! So. Dark chocolate is the theory. They've got a whole range of flavors, peppermint, chocolate, raspberry. They're coming out with coffee ones. And the idea is you spray it into your mouth. It covers your tongue and your taste buds. And you get all the pleasures of chocolate they promise you without any of the calories, which sounds like nonsense. Yeah,
3: it sounds like it's probably not going to be healthy for as healthy as chocolate is. Mm. But you wouldn't want to get that mixed up with your deodorant for
2: example. Well, that's what I thought you were meaning. I thought you were meaning it was some sort of pheromone spray. We could no. lend it to the antelopes so they didn't have to keep <laughs> lying to the, to the well, this, female this antelopes. this is
1: the, the wonder of food science. The funny thing is I saw something like this last time I was in Canada in one of their dollar stores. I actually saw, and it was probably from China, there were sprays for chocolate cake, and which was the one that, that I, I grabbed. So this sort of thing was already out there uh, who knows what sort of stuff is actually in there, because the idea, of course, if it's zero calories, then it can't be actual chocolate.
0: Mm.
1: And I'd always read and experienced myself that a lot of the pleasure of chocolate is not just the flavour, although that's pretty damn good, but also the feel of it in your mouth.
3: Mm, mm, and melting, melting on the tone. Eccentra, Yeah.
1: And if you don't get any of that from the spray, and I can't see how you could, then it's just a bit of flavour in your mouth, and that's going to make you more hungry
0: chocolate.
1: You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Diffusion at 2SER.com brought to you in Sydney on 2SER, Sydney Educational Radio, and across Australia on the Community Radio Network and on the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. How would you like to rate sexy bodies that just get sexier? They're getting people to rate the attractiveness of human bodies that are stripped of cultural context, and then they're going to use genetic algorithms to breed new bodies for people to rate, male and female. see which way our psychological selection pushes the evolution of the bodies based purely on attractiveness. Now before you get too excited at the idea of pornographic research, the images will start and finish as computer-generated graphics, so these are all pretend attractive people. Grey cartoon pretend people standing unnaturally in front of a VW car for scale without anything else for comparison. The researchers are trying to explore the evolution of human body shapes and our ideas of attractiveness. In March 2010, they started with a population of 120 female bodies, and they now added an equal population of male bodies. Every month, a new generation of bodies is bred from the more highly rated bodies of the previous generation. The bodies evolve every month. Professor Rob Brooks, who has a special interest in sexual selection, sexual competition and mate choice at the University of New South Wales, said that although experts talk about measures such as body mass index or waist-to-hip ratio, researchers know surprisingly little about attractiveness in a scientific sense and that people are attracted to a whole package of things about a body shape. He suggested a possible application of the results might be to help people dress to emphasise their previously undocumented attractive traits of a body with your size and shape. They hope to better understand the role of variety and variation in human evolution. The website is www.bodylab.biz. Now, Daniel, you've rated some bodies online just recently yourself.
3: Yeah, I went, and I went and did it. After hearing about the story, I went and tested it out. It's an it's interesting experience, but it's a, these weird trends have come out. So you can actually see what other people have rated the most popular, basically the most popular body figure. And it seems to be smaller than a V-dub. Like they're incredibly small. I think there's there's a bit of a trend, but um, it's a it's a weird experience because not only are they Barbie dolls, they have no genitalia, it, so it's all a kind of bit a bit weird. They also have their faces blurred out, and it looks a bit like a kind of death metal skull underneath <laughs> the blur. I'll so exactly, exactly. So uh, it's not really encouraging you to look at the facial features, but we'll, we'll look over that. But um, it's interesting i 'm not sure why the trend was for very small females. It seems to be that that portability uh, is is a good thing.:
1: <laughs> Well, they were saying they had many more people using the system online than they expected. Wow so they're going to get through this research a lot quicker than they expected. Like they ended up with more than 11,000 in the first month. sixty four of which apparently were for Afghanistan. They haven't worked out whether those people are soldiers or whether they're locals, and whether that skews the body size in any way. Maybe there's all these people who don't really know how big a VW is.
3: Exactly. I like that they use that as... They're trying to be culturally exclusive, and yet they use a VW, and it's such a bizarre thing to see behind
1: you know, what your
2: rating is. Well, what a, else were they going to use? Like a Big Mac or something? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. They could have used, I don't know. A at
2: a KFC
3: chicken?
1: Why not a
2: measurement? Why not actually?
1: Yeah, yeah. A meter rule. To, you know, something, that would have something confused s- all the Americans. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a house. Uh, maybe a bus.
3: The only other place that you see people used as scales is like behind a brachiosaurus. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that. You know when you ever went to like see dinosaurs, it was always compared to the body size of human? I always liked that.
1: This could be dangerous, of course, because it's bad enough that they're going to be evolving mm. this ideal body shape that appeals to the vast majority. It's not just what you like. It's, I mean, they're talking about variation and variety, but these are going to be the body shapes that appeal to the most people, right? Mm. So they're going to end up with a shape that, that really hits the buttons in our brains. And if they did, there are links on that website to ones for faces And for personality types and others. Now, if the face people and the body people get together, you might not be able to look away once they get done.
3: Yeah, Mm. they're going to create the unignorable, or in your case, the most ignorable female ever.
1: (laughs) However, (laughs) sorry, this is sounding very. I know there's.
2: Sorry. I know there's I know there's buttons to be pressed in terms of of facial symmetry and things like that mm. They're going to, that are going to appeal that they've shown these these things appeal to to uh, babies mm-hmm. that as soon as they can recognize faces, Denzel Washington appears more desirable than some guy with a scar, but we're incredibly conditioned by the pictures of blonde woman in bikinis that we've been force-fed since we were three years old and able to...
1: Against our will. Really, Absolutely,
2: against, against my will. And so I have to wonder how much of the study is just reinforcing those force-fed cultural attributes that, you know, really...
1: Well, um, see, they've deliberately gone against that. These bodies have no hair, so they can't be blonde. They're naked, so they can't have a bikini. So they're they're not – they've deliberately – the reason that they've put out the faces is not just so that you Mm. can't choose a prettier face with a not-so-pretty body, but also there's no cultural references other than the Volkswagen, um, which is a really weird cultural (laughs) reference to put in the background. But there's nothing to tell you that this is a woman on the beach, that this is a beautiful blonde, that this is whatever. It's just purely body shape is all you have to go by.
3: It's interesting because particularly in your case, you know, you can just imagine the headline when they come to the end of the research and they say – this is the most attractive body shape. And is that actually something we want to be telling young women or people who have already have issues about uh, body image? So it's a strange... Um, I mean, I can understand from the evolutionary point of view, but but it is... Uh, particularly with the idea of, you know, dressing to accentuate those things. I mean, that's an issue in it itself already.
1: If that is what happens, because mm. it seems... what. What I haven't mentioned here is that some of the discussion on this is that there is a lot of variety. If you really expected that there was one ideal body shape, then we should all have it through sexual selection and evolution, but we don't. There's a huge variety in both men and women in heights and weights Mm -hmm. and shapes and all sorts of body aspects. So there can't be one ideal. It's more likely that they're going to find that there's a whole range of ideals rather than one. It sounds like it from the description, but I have a feeling that... They're not really trying to get just one ideal shape. They probably get a population of ideal shapes.
3: Yeah, and th- and through doing it, they do take a lot of information. So they they take uh, your country and your sexual orientation and your sex, particularly. So I can imagine that there are subsets of you know there may be different uh, body images for different you know a- attractions, etc. So,
1: I mean, they're also grey, so that there's no skin. There's no race sort of things. But as well as that, there's no there's no personality informing the bodies because mm-hmm. they're computer generated, they're not real people Except at all.
3: Except we know that they drive a Volkswagen.
1: <laughs> this is true. So would you would you be interested in a woman who drives a Volkswagen? If you're the sort of guy who just won't touch that woman at all, the none of these women will appeal to you enough.
3: Well w- the trick is if you look into the distance and say there's a Volkswagen coming, they won't leave you. So.
1: Uh-huh. Or if you make a sound. Of a Volkswagen about to hit them, <laughs> they'll come back.
3: It's interesting. It's, it's interesting. Well, see, it'll be interesting to see where it ends up. You know how small they will go.
1: Yeah, how small? That well, I don't know. Will they be really, really short? Will they be giant breasts? Will there be a parody? Yeah. of human figures. Yeah, will it
3: go to the absurd?
1: Well, know? and the absurd. We've seen that before. If you look Dolly at the button, well, there's that there is real life. Um, I was thinking the archaeological digs, you've got uh, some of the old statues from cave days where they've got fertility goddesses with giant breasts and giant hips, mm. that sort of thing, like you know, bigger than any human woman could possibly have. Whereas Dolly Parton perhaps is the limit what any human woman could possibly have. Who I, knows?
2: My guess would be it'll, it'll actually plateau very quickly and there might be rapid change at first, but then... People will just mm. keep on choosing the same things because over a short period of time, people's ideas aren't gonna sort of change too much. They're just gonna keep on going back to that. They'll act to minimise the change by yeah. choosing the the sample that is most like the one that last got chosen.
1: Right. Yeah. Don't forget, they're also looking at men, so it'd be interesting to see what the ideal idealised males end up being. I did Whether
3: both. I did both so and and you could tell from the male side because it was in its first round you could see there was a huge variety of you know there are different heights different widths they were fatter smaller etc whereas in the female one it will like every generation it's going to reduce the variation so yeah we're going to it's going to run out of um, possibility to go to the extremes I think.
1: Well it'll be interesting to see what happens.
2: Ladies, we love you in all your shapes and sizes. Don't change a thing. And this is just science.
1: Well, I I think that's what evolution shows, is variety is what wins. Yeah, exactly. We don't have all men or all women just looking like one type at all. Viva la difference.
2: And
3: thankfully, they don't just have a round mound, you know, in between the legs. Which is kind of what the grey models are.
1: That's really weird, you know, that they've chosen the whole Barbie thing. Yeah, it is sexual attractiveness of the body, but by the way, there's no genitalia. genitalia. That's Maybe cool. they're angels.
3: Well, hey. But
1: the whole point well, of the sexual that's what attractiveness is the angel <laughs> The whole sexual attractiveness thing is a bit off. Since I mean, you, you might be able to accept they're imaginary, but you can't accept them being sexual if they're not.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is that kind of, that element of it that you know it's not a real human being. I mean, yeah. I don't
1: know. Maybe maybe that's all stuff for for a new study. Mm. For the the study that succeeds this study, they can learn from that sort of thing, perhaps. Unless, of course, we've just misunderstood what they're trying to do and they're just trying to generate next-gen porn. Yeah,
3: I thought, when you told me, I thought this was all going to go into the game industry. It was going to be evolutionary, like, what does our brain switch on to? And, uh, you know, how can you make them the next Tekken character?
0: Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man, knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.
1: And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions or marriage proposals, if you'd like to broadcast a story on Diffusion and hear your own voice passionately communicating science on radio, then send email to diffusion at 2 SCR.com. That's diffusion at 2 scrcom Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program... Were Daniel Keogh and Aaron Cook. I produce Diffusion in the studios of 2SCR Sydney and Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the community radio network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.